Confidence with Vanessa Murphy, the podcast that discusses all things to do with confidence at work. This is a podcast for women who want to know more about where their confidence supports them and where it can let them down in their careers. I'm your host, Vanessa Murphy, confidence coach, HR expert and podcaster. Every fortnight, this podcast will introduce you to women who have interesting stories to tell around confidence. Through their stories, you will realise that even women who appear to have it all have had confidence wobbles. But by listening to them, you will take away what they do to remain top of the confidence game. I'm joined today on Women in Confidence by Katie Carriper. Katie is originally from Germany and moved to the USA in 2014. She's a pastor, but now works as a home organiser and helps her clients declutter and organise their homes as a KonMari consultant. In her business, Heartfully Done, she offers in-person and virtual coaching. As a highly sensitive person, she uses her empathy, intuition and counselling background to guide clients to create a home and life that sparks joy. Katie is a multi-passionate entrepreneur and loves to learn and share her experiences with others through various means. So Katie, hello and welcome to Women in Confidence. How are you doing? Hello, Vanessa. I'm so glad that I can be here in your podcast. I'm doing very well. Excellent. So I do this um, of all my guests because I really am interested in where people live and also just the beauty of the Internet and the fact that we can talk to each other. And do you want to tell everybody where you are? I am in New York City, in Brooklyn, New York City, United States. Yeah, amazing. And I'm yeah, everyone knows because everyone listens to the podcast. I'm in Melbourne. So again, we are thousands and thousands of miles away and different climates at the moment. I mean, you're cold, we're hot. Yeah, and for me it's Saturday, and for you it's Sunday. It's absolutely Sunday morning. I'm packed with my coffee, so we're ready to go. The other thing I always ask my guests is to answer this. What does confidence mean to you? I think in the first um the first thought is clarity if I'm clear about something then I can just be so much more confident and it also has to do with boundaries and limits if I'm clear about my limits about my boundaries I can communicate clearer and then other people perceive me as more confident and focused because I'm actually am in that moment then so clarity being really important to you and just explain what you mean by having more clarity. And you also mentioned boundaries as well, which I'm sure I'll come on to. But yeah, just help me understand a bit more about what you mean clarity. I think clarity has has to do in the way that that I know what I want and that I know what I don't want. And that's the same with boundaries. So if I know I want A, then I will go after A. So I feel very clear and I, I probably appear more confident because I'm focused in going after A. But imagine if I would not know, oh, do I want A, B or C or what do I want? So that doesn't feel confident and also doesn't does not show as confident. So does this make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And knowing what you want and what you don't want, is that something that you've always been able to do or is that something you've had to learn? Trial and error that's like the simple and easy answer or like throw the spaghetti on the wall and see if it sticks. So, which I literally don't do. It's just a <laughs> metaphor. I'm not throwing pasta against my walls, but I'm trying stuff out and then I see how it feels. Does it resonate with me? Is this something that I enjoy or is it draining me or giving me joy? So 
And often I try to figure out stuff in my brain, but then I can't because I need more information. I need more data. And then I try something out. I try a different work process or try to work with a different client that I've never worked before with. And then I have more information if I want to do this again or not, or if I want to tweak it a little bit and try something else out. So that's how I usually go. And so it's a real iterative process. And I think that's very true with confidence. I think very few people have born with like 100% confidence. And so, and, and then through life, it, you know, ebbs and flows. And I guess they try and error, you know, it's that's the process of life in many ways. So one of the reasons why I've, I've got you on, um, and this is super exciting, is you are a Comrie Method consultant. I, I didn't really know much about it, but now I've done lots of research into it through you. Thank you. And I just think it's such an amazing process, particularly when you look at it from a women in confidence lens, because I think there's a, there is a real link between what you do and the ability to give your clients confidence. So could you just help everyone understand what you currently do, what's your current business? And then we'll talk about it in a little bit more detail. Yeah. So for the people that don't know what a Kanmari consultant is, it's like a home organizer or professional organizer. So I come into people's homes, either in person or virtually on Zoom, that's possible too. And then I help them declutter and organize their material belongings. But because the material belongings are usually attached to a ton of emotions, this will shake everything up. And then, you know, like a snow globe, eventually the little snow will come fall down again and everything gets very clear. So in the end, I help people to find clarity and structure and let go of distractions that are unnecessary. Yeah. And how did you get into that? Because that wasn't where you started out, but I guess what was your progression from, you know, where you were, I know, in university through to being this consultant? Yeah. So I used to work as a pastor, as a evangelical pastor in a Baptist church or in also in a Lutheran church. I did different things. So that was always my path, like the spiritual path and teaching other people about religion and spirituality and the Bible and guiding people in, in that way. So so I think the guiding part, that that didn't change. So that's still the same. I'm guiding people. and But what changed is that it's much more practical. So it's not tied to religion anymore, but it's tied to your whole life. And I mean, your whole life is in your apartment, is in your home. And then everything will be affected by if you tidy or like declutter and organize and tidy your life. And hopefully there will be more space because of it in the outside and in your inside. And then you can think about topics like religion, if this is something you are interested in or spirituality or personal growth or whatever. I was always an organized person. So that was never an issue for me. I I think when I was a child and my mother said, go and clean up your room. So I was always the child that did that. So, um, so, so it, I was never like rebellious against. So, because I like when my room was tidy, but then decluttering and letting go of unnecessary things, that was something I was, let's say in air quotes, I was forced into it because when I moved from Germany to the United States, to New York city, living space is so expensive and if you don't want to live so expensive you have to live farther away from the center for example of Manhattan where like everything usually is or the biggest job opportunities are 
and then you have to pay for it. If you want to live closer, it's more expensive. So either you have the money and you can pay for it or you have to live very small. So I had to make all those decisions about what are my values here? What can I afford? What can I not afford? And also not just money-wise, but time and nerve-wise. And, and then I needed to declutter. And, and minimalism and also the KonMari method both helped me really think about it in a, in a different type of way. Not about what can leave my life, but what I want that it stays with me. And, and then um, the other thinking of, oh, this does not make sense to keep because this will not support me in this life I actually want to live. So it's just more looking more at the positive and not at the negative. Yeah, and one of the things that Marie Kondo actually says is it's about choosing what to keep, not what to get rid of. And that's a really exactly. important distinction. And that I only learned, I mean, that all was in 2016 when I started with it. But as a child or as a teenager, I always thought, oh, what can I get rid of? So that was the way of thinking. And then often the answer was, I cannot get rid of too many things because they're still useful. I held on to a lot of things. I couldn't let them go because they still were like valuable or useful or they were so expensive. I couldn't let them go. Stuff like that. Well, we'll come on to the method shortly, but I want to talk about your actual move from Germany to New York. So originally you did end up in a bigger place to fill all the stuff you took with you. How did you go through that process? And this was before you were the consultant. How did you go through that process of saying, okay, we've got to get rid of or get or choose what to keep, what to get rid of to go from a three bedroom apartment to now your current living arrangements? Yeah, back then we lived in a three-bedroom apartment at the outskirts of Queens. So, so it took us one and a half hours to go to work and one and a half hours to go back, which was very draining Very because it was like three different public transportation. It's not like you sit there and sleep for one and a half hours. It was not like that, sadly, that have made things different. But so, and then I always thought about what... First, I always thought I need to earn more money so we can afford to live closer to Manhattan. But then in all of that thinking and watching a ton of YouTube videos and just like thinking about all of these things, I realized, no, what if I just own less and then I can just pay the same rent and live in a smaller place. And in that place back then, because then we moved from Queens to Manhattan, was a one room apartment, like a studio apartment. and I knew more or less the square footage. I think it was around 300 um, square feet. And then it was a lot of math. So you always start with the vision first. You, you know where you are, obviously. So that's no surprise. But then you think about where do I want to go? Literally, right? I literally knew 300 square feet. So just math. Will this table fit? No, this table will not fit. So I cannot take it. Will this other table fit? yes, this might fit so I can keep it. And like going on and on, like with the bookshelves and everything else. And for me, what sparked joy, as Marie Kondo always says, was this vision of we live in, we are living in Manhattan and we only need 30 minutes to go to work. So that was for my husband. And for me, it was actually only five minutes by foot to walk to the church. So that, that was like my vision. And, and then it was like, oh, I have like the 20th towel. Do I really need it? Is it practical? Of course it's practical. Do I need it? No. Does it support me in fitting into that 300 square footage apartment where I would have the super short commute? No, it doesn't support me. 
so I can happily let it go and give it a new home. So, so that's like the thought process behind it. And to some people listening, you know, you're right. I've got, I was just, when you were talking, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I've got about 40 towels, I think. Do I need them? No, but they're practical. And I think that's the, the bit I struggle with is I might need that towel eventually <laughs> if, you know, if suddenly <laughs> lots of guests come. So how, talk me through, how do you help your clients to get rid of their 40th towel, for example, but, but to go through the process of deciding what to keep and deciding what to let go? Yeah, the process starts, as I already said, with the vision. So you need, you know, you need to know where you clarity again, you need to be clear what you want. It does not mean that it always has to stay that, but you need some orientation at the beginning. And then you don't go by room. So we would not start with the bathrooms and all of the towels. It starts with clothes because we wear them so close on our bodies. So it's much easier to make decisions about these things, right? Do I really need those underpants? Huh, let me think about it. When did I wear them the last time? So, so it's much easier because no guests are no guests will wear your underwear, like you know, with <laughs> extra towels, but with your like um, underwear, and so you will know. And then you go from clothes into books, and then you go into paper. So books is, you know, like one book is a much easier decision, and the book has let's say 150 pages. But if you afterwards go into paper. Imagine you have 150 pages of paper. This will not be a quick decision because it's like 150 decisions. So you're building your decision muscles. And then after paper, you go into the category which is called kimono, and that means miscellaneous. And that's like everything else. And that's where the towels are part of with all, you know, your sheets and um, then also all the kitchen stuff, then your medicine cabinet. And so that's like a gigantic category. But you also do it in the subcategories. So you don't hop from one thing to the next. You're like doing all of the towels, you know, and everything that goes into the textile category. And then you would maybe let's go into all shampoos and into, but always for yourself. You can only do it for yourself. You're not allowed to tell your spouse, well, I think you don't need so many towels, you know, and then maybe he thinks something very different or she. So, yeah, and after this one comes the hardest category, which is sentimental. That's the hardest. And those are the things like, but my grandma gave me these towels and they embroidered. And I mean, I say it now like as it is a choke. It's not a choke because it's a real fear that comes up. Like you don't want to like hurt your grandma or hurt somebody else by giving something away that's so valuable. So, and that's where all the tricky conversations happen. I mean, they happen before as well, but in the sentimental category, there are even more. So that's a lot of storytelling, a lot of listening, a lot of dealing with fear and anxiety and what to do. And am I allowed to get rid of it or not? Or how to do it responsible? All of these things. And the process just listening to you sounds like, and I loved what you said about building your decision muscle. I love that. And I'm going to come back to that. But the, it sounds like the process is a bit like therapy in the fact that you start, you know, just the simple questions and then you draw down really deep into the soul. And you do talk about emotions and feelings and the sentimental. So it, it is a form of therapy. Is that what you think? Is that is that your feeling around it? If, if we would say that therapy is something that 
like if it's behavioral therapy, then I think changing how you think about things, observing how you feel and think about things, and then changing your decisions, then I say, yes, it's like therapy. But but if somebody would, for example, like be very depressive or so, I I think, how shall I say that? I think you have to be in a stable and solid place to do that. Because imagine you are going through a depression and life is super shaky and then somebody comes and asks for all of those decisions. Does it spark joy? Does it not spark joy? Then people, this is a lot. So I think in the liberation way, it's like therapy, but in in a medical perspective, it's not like therapy. So yeah, Mm. so I cannot heal somebody that maybe needs like a real professional yeah, in that way. But it's, a, it's I suppose it's a part of healing, isn't it, to be transforming life. So, yeah, I, I get that. On a medical sense, it's not therapy, but actually it can help support perhaps somebody. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I'm sorry that I interrupted you, but I see it as healing. Yeah, I see what I'm doing as healing because, first of all, I'm, I'm coming into the process and the other person is not alone anymore. Because usually they tried it. They tried it many times and they, it didn't work out as they wanted. They couldn't finish. So so there's a story already. There's mindfulness about it. There, There's like lots of stuff that happened. And then I'm coming into the process that the person is not by themselves. And and it's like a healing guide. And, and also somebody, I'm like out of the box thinker. So they maybe have the blinders on. And they don't see what are the possibilities. And then I'm just coming up with ideas. It's like I'm a catalyst and I'm like a healer and I'm like a creative in their space. And sometimes we push furniture around and try stuff out in the end, if this makes more sense. It's like interior designer. So there's a lot of different components coming together. And it's like a gigantic 3D puzzle which is in the outside world, but also in the heart and the brain world. So, so it's very interesting. And Marie Kondo does say, or Marie Kondo, sorry, does say tidying is a marathon and not a sprint. And it certainly sounds like the process that you take people through isn't something that you can do overnight. Well, certainly not going through my wardrobe, you couldn't. But um, is that true? Is it something that you have to do over a period of time? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, of course, right? It depends how much a person owns. That's one thing, right? Is somebody living in a studio apartment or does somebody live in a suburban home with five bedrooms and a basement and a garage? But then it also depends if the person, how much their emotional attachment to each item is. Because it's possible that a person makes a decision in 10 seconds or it's possible that we have to talk about it for half an hour. So, and that makes the process a process because first of all, I don't know what will happen. Second of all, the client usually also does not know what happens. And maybe in one category, it goes super fast. And in the next category, it takes forever. Mm-hmm. And, and you never know. So it's a process in the way that you have to be patient with yourself. And even if you're slower, that that's okay. And do you find that some of the clients you work with have anchored themselves to a particular item. And so that is, that, that is their life. And if they let that go, 
they need to probably let that go. And they probably know they need to let that go in order to achieve their vision and the life they want. But they've anchored themselves onto, let's say, grandma's towels. Let's use that as a random example. And therefore, their life that they want to achieve, their vision is is never going to happen because they're so firmly anchored to an old life, really. Yeah, I can make an example with myself. So I was very anchored to all the porcelain in China that I owned. And also I inherited from my grandma, like two different sets. And this anchored me into a very big apartment because I knew this needs a lot of space and I need a kitchen or living room big enough where this fits. And then I always thought I I cannot... I we cannot live closer to to Manhattan because we cannot afford it. So this China, like the pretty one with the gold edge that I use like maybe once a year, that helped me back. We had like a high rent that we paid. We had all of this long commute. Of course, we also had space. So I don't say anything against the space that was very neat to have two bathrooms and have a guest room and, and even a washer and a dryer, which is special for New York City to have in your apartment. So that all was very luxurious, but the price was so much more, the cost of it, like the nerves, the time, all the draining of the commute. And and then I needed to just realize, is it worth the pretty China? Is it worth it? And it's a sad process, right? If you, if you have to admit, I want to travel, I want to explore the world. I want to live in Manhattan. I just want to like explore the city. I just don't want to at night, you know, imagine you go to a musical like back in the time, like when we did that. And then, and then you're like, yes. And now I have to be like for one and a half hours in like three different trains until I'm back home. And then you're like, oh, it's, you know, it, it feels like you're still young, but then your own life, you have to always think about all of those additional things like, oh, I have to bring a snack because the trip is so long or what if, if the subway is not going, what do I do then? I didn't want to have that. It felt like anchoring me, but not in a positive grounding way, but in a, like, it takes me away from really living this life. And then hello, New York city, you know, where like people say, Oh, the city that never sleeps. So, and then you don't even experience it because, because your funds go all into your rent and your funds and energy goes into all the commute. So that was so sad. Mm. so yeah I let the China go and I admit I'm still sad about it not sad that I regret it because it's pretty but then I I just had to make a decision so I'm glad I did the decision one of the things that I find comes up a lot in my interviews with my guests is around vision and being really clear on vision and you've mentioned it uh, and people call it other things but ultimately it's setting an intention or of where you want to be, what you want to do, what you want to have. So through your process of setting a vision, how did you actually do that? I'm a very intuitive person, but I also like to use my brain and it's like a jumping back and forth all the time. And it may be like a zigzag. So, so there's no straight line. It's like always zigzag and sometimes like three circles around and going backwards and that's what I did. At the beginning, I don't, didn't even follow the categories 100% because there were some things, like I mentioned with the big table, that I knew that's the math. I, I will not take this table. So, so and for me, personally, when I did this, it was liberating because I needed 
to feel success. I needed to see movement and success. Of course, the table was still there, but in my mind, I knew this table is not coming with me. It's okay. And, and, and that was very easy in the beginning. Right. And then because nobody guided me, I did that all by myself. And what was really, really tough close was easy, super easy because yeah, that was books was horrible, difficult. I had so many and as a theologian, obviously I have a ton of books. And then, and then a lot of books, I thought, yeah, I never used them. And then I felt like giving those books away meant like giving my degree away of not being a theologian anymore. But then I had to tell myself, Katie, you're still a theologian. You're still a pastor, even if you don't own this book anymore. And it was so difficult and so much self-esteem was somehow attached to these scientific books. And then were the other books that always screamed at me, read me, read me. You bought me three years ago and you did not yet read me. So, and all of those books didn't spark joy in me, but they're just like, felt like, you know, being mean to me. And, and so those books, I also let go. And, and those are, and then I had some days where I like made a lot of decisions and some days where I just cried about giving my grandma's China away because I imagined I would have this grandiose life where I eat from this China and I have all the time guests and entertaining them. And we had so many pretty glasses that we got for our wedding. And, and then, but then like trying this lifestyle out, I realized I don't like to have a lot of guests. If there's two people visiting us, I like a small, like intimate setting. I don't want to have like eight people coming. That stresses me out. And all the dishes afterwards with the gold edge, you have to do it all by hand. That stresses me out too. Yeah, but I did not know before. I always thought like, oh, this is the life I want to live. Then you try it out and you realize, oh, it actually is not the life I wanted to live. And and from there I go with everything. Mm. That's how I do it. And that's why I think when I said it's like therapy is because you through, it might be a book, but you question yourself. And your status and your meaning because of a book or um, some China or whatever it may be, because it does question, well, actually, am I still the same person if I get rid of that book? Or am I still the same person if I accept that I don't like eight people in my house? And I think that's what I meant by therapy. It's a sort of cleansing process. And through that, you the, the true you comes through. With your clients and you take them through the process, do you see a different person at the end of it? Not just their physical space, but actually their emotions, I suppose even their physical being as well. Do you see that transformation? I I see that they're lighter. I see that you're usually easier to smile. And I also see that they're more confident. In, in one part, like confident and like, let's have people over that they see how awesome everything looks. And because they're so proud of themselves. And I think that's the energy. Because I mean, I could also go to somebody and I make everything pretty. Obviously, I cannot declutter it, but I can make it look good. But then there's no pride. I mean, I would be proud of myself like doing this, but the client would not feel this. Because they actually didn't accomplish anything because they didn't do the work. So it's a journey of transforming their own space and their own thinking and their own feeling. So and that's fascinating. And some people, they discover, oh, 
like I like I for example with my gold edge china they they discover oh I always thought I'm like a person like this and that but I'm actually not or I'm not anymore and that's okay and yeah that's very like you said that's like therapy it's like observing accepting and then like being confident and being clear about who I'm not anymore and who I want to be and just going on with my life with joy and with a focus and going back to another quote that I read on Marie Kondo I need to get that right Kondo uh, website was about tidying is a powerful reset your real life begins after putting your house in order and I think to me that's well, it's just, well, there's many things around the house in order. So getting your own personal house in order and then there's your physical house in order is a powerful reset. And what you said, Katie, sounds that you absolutely take your clients through that process. But I want to go back to something you said a number of times, and that is sparks joy. What what do you mean by that? You said some um you said a number of times, does this spark joy? Tell tell me a bit more about that. It is, for example, imagine we're like, we're standing in your bedroom and there's all your clothes on your bed and then you take one piece and then I would ask you, does it spark joy? And and this can just mean like that you say, I love this shirt. Of course it does joy, it spark joy. It makes me happy. You can say it or think it, but you could, if I see you touching it, I could also just see your smile or your eyes shining. Or if it's something that does not spark joy, it's like you touch it and already feeling the fabric in your hands. It's like, oh, it's so itchy. And then you remember the last time you wore it and was so itchy and you felt so uncomfortable and not confident at all. So your body language will show me. Those are the little hints of going after what actually sparks joy, what makes you happy. I mean, you know, some people, oh, I just want to be happy. And they say that in their life. It might sound superficial, but it's not because it's only like showing what's already there, but it makes it visible, right? And and you cannot see your own face and you cannot observe your own thoughts so easily, but because I'm like an outsider and I'm, if I'm looking at you, I can see it and I can mirror it to you. I can describe what I see. And then if I say, hey, your eyes are so shiny. Do you really like that piece? And you're like, yeah, I love it, but it has a hole in it and I should not wear it anymore. So then I want to empower you that if you love it and if there's a hole in it, what could we go from there? It does not mean that there it has to leave your house, not at all. They're like options, what to do with it. And because if you love it so much, it sh- should stay in your life. But if you hate it, but it was so expensive because it was like a hundred dollars. Oh my goodness. And I lost all of that money. So then we will also talk through that and what your options are there. And then you make the decision because you're the decision maker. I'm just a guide, like giving you ideas, mm. but I'm like telling you what I actually see, what you cannot see yourself. And you mentioned decision-making then, and it's going back to something you said earlier about building your decision-making muscle. So throughout all these steps, and it's a it's a quite an intensive process, do you think you can then take what you've learned in that decision-making muscle and apply that to life generally? Yeah, I think so. So imagine you go shopping and then you try on a t-shirt and then you're like, oh, that looks so cute. That color really suits me. But then you feel the itch 
and like because maybe the seam is like itchy against your skin and then you will be more sensitive because then remember oh my I had this other shirt it was so itchy and then Kate me guided me through it and I actually let it go and I was so pissed that I paid hundred dollars and now I'm here again with another itchy shirt which looks so cute but it's so itchy do I want to do it again and those so this will change your shopping behavior but then you will also do it with like with work does this task spark joy or what can I change about it that it's better or even stronger does this person spark joy or is this person just draining my energy and what can I do about it and do I want to do something about it mm. so yeah I think it's like if you start training those muscles and and your home is in order it's like a big bigger circle then you think like oh in this area of my life for example your finances what sparks joy here and what does not spark joy I hate doing taxes. I mean, that's not what I say, but if a person says I hate doing taxes, um, then then you like, but is there maybe another person that could help me that I really like and, and it would be a positive event and I could just turn it around and make it more joyful. But yeah, so so those are like lots of creative approaches. And if if somebody's curious about going into this process and hiring a consultant to help them tidy or declutter but probably think I, I'm not ready for it what's one thing that they can start doing now to help them declutter and tidy and create space perhaps for, for some different type of abundance to enter their life I think the first thing they can do is to observe what annoys them and what drains them and what they actually want different it's always good to think about the vision. This is where I'm at. Let's say they have lots of piles of magazines everywhere. And always if they touch them, then they're like, like a waterfall, like sliding down. And then I have to pile them up again. And they're like, I love those magazines, but I hate those piles. And when I touch them, they're like falling apart. And, and just being mindful and like observing all of those things. And then realizing, hey, I love these. But how they're placed, I hate. What can I do about it? Or who could I ask about it? Maybe a friend has a good idea. Or maybe I go to Pinterest and see how other people like organize their magazines. And that's just a teeny tiny thing for one example. But you can do that with your whole life. Mm. Um, I also made a, um, a little guide. It's called a tiny tidy guide where I also guide through all the things I said and some more ideas that, that are actually very logical, at least in my brain, and that you can feel free to download and then um, and then go through that and just have a little paper where you can just like read something and then look, oh, Katie mentioned this. Let's look in my apartment where I find this and maybe I can change it and have like a right away, like different approach to it that would make things easier. Is something some of the work that you do is it around feng shui or is it not related at all because i'm just thinking there's a japanese culture of feng shui and tidying and this whole idea of energy around your home is it the same thing or similar um i i would not it's not the same thing but i would say they're totally in the, the related like in a family maybe they're cousins so but for example when i am um, I'm in a client's home and then their bed, under the bed, everything is stuffed. So, so in French way, that is a no-go, that there's stuff under your bed. And then if I hear like, and what's there, and then I say like old textbook books, 
from university I'm like oh my goodness you're sleeping on your old textbooks that's so interesting i wonder how you're sleeping so of course so so maybe they're sleeping fantastic <laughs> but but then like hey let's try to clean up the space um and that's not so much for the energy that that the wind can go through it's more for it's easier to clean under the bed if there's not like a, a load of other things piled down there so yeah but usually I have a very practical approach but um, I also have colleagues that are like doing both they're doing feng shui and they're also doing konmari so I think depending on which consultant you're looking for like colleagues that do all of these things yeah Okay, and my final thing, my final question then is around the Comrie process. How does tidying support people with their confidence? Imagine you know where everything is in your home and you not just know it, you just like right away, it's not a guessing, oh, it's somewhere there in that closet. You know exactly, you go there and you find it. And, and that's teeny tiny, that's maybe only, you know, you know where your scotch tape is. But then, you know, with everything that you own, you also will later will find everything that's in your computer and every contact that you have. And, and so and this will make bigger and bigger circles. So and I think that's the confidence. Mm -hmm. And it's also a confidence. Imagine somebody says, oh, I will visit you later. And, and then you can tidy up super fast because those few things that are piled there, you know where their home is. You know, you can do it in 10 minutes. So that gives you also confidence. Because it shows you I'm in control about my material belongings. What the heck can I not do? If I'm like capable of like my surroundings not owning me, but I am in control, I can also tackle other things. Mm. I mean, maybe that's a little like too grand and too big, but but I I feel confident. And also it's not just confident. It's also I can create an atmosphere at home where I feel well and supported. And where I concentrate on if I want to work, I can create this clarity that I can focus on work. But if I just want to put all my work stuff away and turn on a candle and sit there and journal, I can so too. So I can transform it just however I need it. And that gives me the confidence that I can have good self-care. You know, if I want to work, then I work. If I want to like relax, I relax. And if I want to have people over, I can also quickly do that. I don't think any of those ideas are grand. I think they're absolutely, in my view, absolutely spot on because what you're talking about, and I'm sort of taking it and paraphrasing it slightly, is around control. And if you have self-control and through the process that you take your clients, self-awareness, uh, um, some self-belief, then actually if you can control yourself and your space and your thoughts and actions, then you are going to be confident. It's just naturally going to come and then, you know, take on the world after that, I'd say. So I think all the things you said, there's nothing grand about it. I'd say, if anything, they're absolutely essential to have somebody having control, um, confidence. Taking your clients through these steps, and we've already talked about the sentimental value and the emotional value people place on crockery or clothes or whatever it doesn't matter what the item is paintings in my for my for my kids is my thing my emotional anchor you must see a lot of emotion out, out emotional outpourings how do you protect your own sort of emotion and how do you get, apply your self-care so that you are not affected and you don't take that with you and carry it and hold it 
first of all, if a client um, is very emotional and starts crying, then usually that's my cue to go slower and just give space and give the time and and recognize that there's something painful happening and a moment of grief. And, and so I'm letting them, but I'm there as their guide. I mean, I'm, of course, having like sympathy and I'm there, but I'm always seeing like, there's this room that I give you, but now it's time to make a decision. And even if the decision I cannot yet decide, then the decision is okay, then let's put it to the side and we think about it another day and, and, and to guide them on. So because that's why I'm there, right? So I cannot then just sit on the floor crying too. So, so I always have to remember to remind myself I'm there to, to move along and move them ahead. And then depending on the session, it can also be physically very um, exhausting. So usually I only do one session a day. So I would not, you know, in the morning work with one client and then rush over to another client. Some organizers actually do that. And then I'm like, wow, that's incredible how they're doing that. Probably they're no high, not highly sensitive people. So, but I can. So then I go home and I tell myself, I don't have to do anything today. And it's okay if I just have takeout and it's okay if I just watch Netflix because I accomplished a lot today. I helped the person, another person to turn around the way of thinking, the way of feeling. And they let go of so many things that didn't serve them. And I can just be so proud of myself. Also like re reminding myself that this is special what I'm doing, that like using my my brain, my emotions, my practical skills, my people skills and all of that and just going back and forth like the zigzag mentions and 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 just patting myself on the shoulder, which I often forget and, and saying, that's great. That's perfect. Let's call it a day. And tomorrow I have a whole day off and I will sleep in and I don't have my only decision is what am I going to wear? Loungewear probably. And what do I have to eat or what do I want to eat? And no other decisions. I also have a limit in making decisions and guiding people. So yeah, I, and I have to be graceful about that and or giving myself grace about that because I cannot do this eight hours from Monday to Friday. That's impossible for me. Maybe some people can do it, but if I want to do it in love and with patience and kindness, I need time in between to recover. How can people find you, Katie, and understand a bit more about what you do and um, some more about the Comrie process? People can find me on my website on heartfullydone.com. And then if you go to the About section, then you can read about my story, like about Katie. Then there's About Heartfully Done, where I explain why I came up with this name. And I also explain more about the Conmary method. And if you just want to, um, if you're just curious and want to learn more about me and funny stories and what I've done in my life so far, you can also hop on my blog and then there's like maybe interesting blog posts you can just, yeah, dive into. And are you on G YouTube? Oh, that's true. Let me add this. Yes. And then I have a YouTube channel where, yeah, where I <laughs> try to make informative and entertaining videos. And that's also called Heartfully Done. And then you can also follow me on Instagram, which is also Heartfully Done. And I'll put all those links in the show notes so anybody listening can, can use those links and go and find you. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining me on Women in Confidence. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I've certainly 
enjoyed listening around decluttering and tidying and I'm probably now going to go out of my little studio <laughs> into my kitchen and probably take away a lot of stuff a lot of paperwork my word a lot of paperwork so thank you for sharing your a bit about your journey to Hartfully Done and to New York City and sharing all that big move and also about the Komari process so thank you very much for your time and it's been absolutely brilliant having you on so thank you thank you Vanessa it was a joy for me for being here and imagining that you're in Australia and I'm like on a different continent very exciting Thank you so much for listening to Women in Confidence and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, then please like it, share it, comment on it, and if you want to, sponsor it. If you'd like to take part in my podcast or know somebody who would make a perfect guest, then please email me on contact at vanessa-murphy.com. That's contact at vanessa-murphy.com. Until next time. <laughs>